You're listening to Second Breaks. I'm Lou Blazer. Hello, my friend. I'm so glad that you can join me. Today, I have my friend Vivek Chakraborty joining me for the second time on the podcast. Vivek is the CEO of the Cavi Group, which is a crisis management and business continuity consulting firm that supports some of the largest firms in the world today. Now, I asked him to join me again here because some weeks ago, he posted something on LinkedIn about his three-step yogi philosophy that has helped him keep calm even during stressful events or highly charged situations. Now, as soon as I saw it, I, of course, immediately pinged him to return to the show so I could pull apart the philosophy and pepper him with questions. Now, it's just, you know, three steps. And on the surface, they seem simple, but they're not actually very easy to do. Uh, The steps require self-awareness, a willingness to really get to know ourselves, to really understand our triggers and our inclinations, and of course, constant practice. But even if we only get to 30% or 40% of what you're going to hear Vivek talk about, it's still worth it. Uh, We're still going to be all the better for it. Now, this is really a little masterclass on how to live in and navigate this crazy world without losing ourselves, how we can get a better handle on ourselves so that we're not losing it anytime something happens. And God knows there are so many zingers and curveballs in midlife. And you know, we need ways to better handle, oh, just the daily stresses that this stage in our life brings. Right. So, okay, let me get out of the way so you can listen in on my conversation with Vivek. And by the way, like I said, this is Vivek's second turn here. The first time he joined me, we talked mainly about the milestones in his life that led him to where he is today. That one was a case study on reinventing yourself. And I'll put a link to that episode on the show notes as well. Okie dokie. Buckle up. Here we go. All right. Before you walk us through the different steps, I mean, the three steps, can you talk a little bit about where it came from? Is this your creation or is this something that you're following from someone? In terms of the three pieces, that's my unique combination. Where that's come from is a series of sources of information. And inspiration is probably a better word. First and foremost, I was raised Catholic. So there's a Catholic inspiration built into that when you think about things like the serenity prayer. And specifically, not Catholic religion, but very specifically, if you think about the story of Jesus's life, specifically towards the crucifixion and how he handled himself through that, That's baked into this philosophy 100%. Um, The second source of inspiration is the Vedanta, uh, which comes from the Indian Vedas. What is that? It's the ancient texts and ancient philosophy from India on which Hinduism is based, Buddhism is based, 
Taoism, a, a lot of these Eastern philosophies, their source comes from the Vedas. Yoga, for example, is a direct derivative of the Vedas. Got it. Okay. So yoga and Vedanta are the second source of inspiration. Um, the third is Buddhism. And the fourth is actually a Western philosophy of Stoicism, which the premise is do what you can control, focus on what you can control, right? And then yeah. the last source of inspiration is mindfulness, right, as a way of life. So th this has been years of learning and following and pulling pieces to where it all sort of clicked together for me. It was one of those aha moments where I'm like, oh, this is how these things connect. And here's my then takeaway. So the yogic philosophy, my yogi philosophy is my takeaway distilled into three steps. Got it. I understand now. So can you walk us through the three steps then? And I'll sure. have follow-ups because I think I was reading through them. They seem simple, quote-unquote simple, but I know it's hard. Like I know a couple of them are like hard for me to do myself. So can you walk us through the three steps? Sure. On the surface, they're very easy. And then when you dive in, they get infinitely more sophisticated and nuanced. Yeah. But at the highest level, um, it's three steps. Okay. The first is breathe. And it's not just any breath. It's slow, rhythmic, and deep. And I'll talk about why that's important. The second step is mind your emotions, specifically temper or anger. Of all the emotions, that one is the most dangerous. And then the third step is lose your ego and the associated identity. Okay, so those are the three steps. Before you break break this apart for us, for me, I want to put it... it put this in context, the, the first time I saw you talk about it was someone asking you about, I think you were speaking on stage and they were noticing how calm you were and how you were able to calmly answer the questions or, you know, uh, not just the presentation itself, but even the answering the questions. Um, and when you thought, thought back to how you were able to do that, you, you referred to your yogi philosophy. And so, that you apply this to that situation, but you also said on that LinkedIn post that it's not just about speaking on stage or being calm just in that particular situation, but that you apply this across the board in all sort of facets of your life or all areas of your life. Did I get that right? Yeah. Yes, 100%. 100%. I can give you four or five situations where this philosophy comes in handy for me on a daily basis, but mm -hmm. anybody can think about it, you know. In that situation, I was speaking to a room um, of folks that I was not familiar with. And we've all been there when you're in, in, in the midst of strangers and you have to share something that's um, personal to you. And the first thing, most people don't notice this, but if you paid attention, the first thing you will notice is that your breath starts getting faster and shallower. Yes. Okay? Because because it is tied directly to the emotions. And so the emotions that are playing in your head are, um, I hope I'm doing a good job. Oh, no, I just screwed up there. Uh, what are they thinking about me? Do I look good? Are they judging my appearance? You know, oh my God, and, yes. and, and that's tied directly now to your emotions. So your emotions are now being controlled and they're controlling your breath. And then that leads to the third thing, which is why 
are these thoughts going through your head? And it's because you've got a certain ego and identity attached to speaking in front of that group. Are you standing in front of them as a source of authority? That's an identity and an ego. So you can't look vulnerable. You have to have all the answers, right? Yes. Um, you can't be wrong. You can't stutter, right? And so now you've completely lost the moment, right? So that's one situation. I'll give you another one that's a daily occurrence for a lot of people. Commuting to work. Someone cuts you off on the road, right? Immediately you react. And people either you get flicked off or you'll flick someone off or you'll start yelling in the car that only you can hear. But it's the same three things that have played, but in reverse. And so oh. the way the way I would break it down is there's these three main steps. And you have to think about it in context of breath, emotions, ego and identity. You combine those two. So those are the three things. So keep that in your mind now. So I talked about talking on stage. I just talked about the car. It's no different when you're in line waiting for something and someone cuts the line. Talk to me about that because, yeah, because that's happened to me a few times. <laughs> right. And, and you have a reaction and, yes. and you have a reaction. So I want you, I'll get into the explanation, but I want you to hold on to that reaction, which is almost always negative. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll give you another one now. Sports. We're about to have the Super Bowl here in the U.S. this weekend. How many people have you seen watching their favorite sport team lose it, yelling at the TV? <laughs> I have. Of course, right? So, so that's another one. Now, now take that reaction plus the reaction of someone cutting you in line or cutting you in traffic or you being in front of a stage. And now I'll give you the next one. You're a parent and you make a decision and your kids start questioning your decision or the logic associated with your decision. And that gets a reaction, okay? So all of the situations have gotten a reaction. And what people do is they don't actually dissect what just happened there, Well, right? for example, immediately I'm thinking, but those are five different situations. How could they be Correct. the same? Or how could I apply the same sort of philosophy across the board? Because those are exactly. different things, yeah. Exactly, so for the last, several years, I've been actually dissecting it. And I don't want to say that this was something that just popped to me and I was like, oh, wow, this is great. No, it's been stages. So for example, I got married very young. So marriage was the first life event. And then, you know, marriage is a dance back and forth, back and forth, two people completely vulnerable if you're honest and transparent. Then we had kids and then each kid is different. And that's another dance then career, we worked at the same place. So there was I was there for 10 years, plus the companies before that, that I worked for. And you get to situations in your career and you do and say certain things or react in a certain way. And you look back and go, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Right. And then 10 years ago, Kathy and I started our company, Covey Group. And then situations also came up. So this is now I'm giving you a span of 20 something years, right? What has dawned on me over that period is we make actions and take decisions, especially for certain in these four areas, career, parenting, marriage, and if you're an entrepreneur, those actions and decisions are very high impact, very long shelf life, and very little margin for error. 
right? And so it became acutely something that I wanted to focus on, especially when I started the company. I was like, wait, I can't be making decisions and I can't be responding and reacting to things without having thought it through. And then I realized something about these events as I started studying them more. And you know, I do crisis management and it was amazing how the parallels are. There are two kinds of crises, the ones you see coming and the ones you don't see coming. Earthquake is one that just happens. Hurricane or typhoon, you see, it's out three days out, two days out, it's developing and you can prep for it. You can respond to it. You can do certain things. Earthquake just happens to you and you have to react. Mm. events are the exact same way Mm. okay even in the ones that are developing you have the same set of active actions cause and effect versus the ones that are surprise i'll break it down now you'll see how all these come together the event takes place all five of those examples i gave you totally different right Mm -hmm. but something in that event triggered you Mm -hmm. what was triggered was your ego and your identity in all five, in every single one of those. Someone cut in line, it was your identity or ego around who do you think you are? Don't you know who I am? How dare you cut the line, right? Or it's your identity around fairness. Hey, we all are standing in line. How did you break that line? But there's something over there. If it's your kids questioning your logic or your employees questioning your logic, your ego and your Mm -hmm. identity is around I am the boss. I am the parent. I am the authority. How dare you question that, right? What about the sports team? (laughs) Sports team. It's your identity. You associate as a fan. It's personal for you. When they miss a goal or they let in a goal or they lose the game, it's your reputation. By extension, the next day, you don't want to go to work because (laughs) you're like, oh my God, they're going to make fun of me, right? Or you want to go in and be like, we won. Yeah. Not they won because you didn't play in the game, but (laughs) we won. Yeah, exactly. That's all ego and identity. We say we won. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Right? That's ego and that's identity. So all those examples. Right. The the, the event triggered your ego and identity. What about when when, uh, when someone cuts you in line or when somebody like cuts you off on the like when you're driving and somebody did a stupid thing on the road or whatever yep. is that also ego driven or it's yeah. more like fairness sort of like no it's also ego like hey don't you know who i am we're all in this together why did you cut across i'm right. trying to get to work we're all going to the same place right but it's tied to your identity like your sense of self, like somehow it got violated my sense of self, Yes, right? Yes, all of those. And so so if there's a triggering event and you dissect it, almost always your sense of self has been violated in some way. Got it. Okay? Yeah. And this is where yoga, yoga comes in and Vedanta comes in specifically, Buddhism, Stoicism. The premise of all of those is if something triggers you, Okay, you have a problem with the event that triggered you. You are the problem, not the event. Yes. Yeah, I accept that. Yeah. So someone said something, I got upset. They did not upset me. I got upset at what they said. Mm -hmm. All these scenarios have the same exact basis. But then, I mean, someone might say, yeah, but what they did is wrong. 
Like, sure. you know, like say, um, say somebody made a racist comment and you got mm-hmm. upset. But what they yep. did is wrong. It's racist. Shouldn't I get upset because they said something wrong? They said something wrong about us being Asian. So I got upset. Correct. But what's at the basis of that? Your identity. Your identity as an Asian. So mm-hmm. whenever you whenever you categorize something someone said as right or wrong, the very basis of it is your identity, religion, political uh, affiliation, mm-hmm. sports club, <laughs> right, right, nationality, caste, um, economic preference, whether you're a communist, socialist, capitalist, whatever. Think about that now in context of every single person and how many identities they have. Mm-hmm. If you're a parent, someone says something about the kid or mm-hmm. any kid, your parental identity gets triggered, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a manager or a CEO or a director, you have an identity about being a boss that gets triggered. And so regardless of what the cause is, it's an identity that's being somehow violated. Got it. The moment that happens, the next effect is your emotions. So your, your, your identity is violated. Now you're angry, Mm -hmm. you're sad, Mm -hmm. you're happy, right? Like your team is winning. The identity is happy. So your emotion is directly connected. And the moment your emotions get involved, your breath also gets involved. So think about scenarios where you are extremely happy, extremely sad, crying or or yelling like when your team is winning, cheering. How fast is your breath? Very very shallow and very, yeah. Very shallow, very fast. Yeah. The extreme opposite of that is while you are fast asleep at night. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever noticed someone fast asleep, their breath is very long and very deep mm-hmm. and very rhythmic. So now that you know that, you reverse engineer it, which is where this yogic philosophy of mind comes from. For example, everybody's normal breath is four seconds. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is my own personal experience because I've been sort of experimenting. At normal state, it's two seconds in, two seconds out. Okay. And then okay. I started paying attention to scenarios where I was getting triggered. And now I am so aware of it, I can actually tell my breath is changing. Okay. So the moment that happens, you know you're going to lose control of your emotions. Now, think about a situation where you're in a concert. You've, uh, most people have been there, whether it's a concert or you're watching a loved one perform on stage and you feel that emotion up there and you start to sob, right? It's an emotional moment. Most people don't pay attention to it, but you actually stop breathing, which is what makes you cry. Oh my next time, Next time you're about to cry, just pay attention to that. You will actually, people will try to stop breathing to stop themselves from crying, which only makes you cry more and tears will come out automatically. Well, not so much with the crying, but I, I have caught myself when, because I, I don't like myself when I'm very angry. So I try to avoid the point of no return for me. Like <laughs> I, I try to yep. avoid that. And because I'm very attuned to the fact that I don't like myself going there, I can catch myself. And I often, there's like something in my brain that goes, Lou, breathe. Hmm? Because somehow, you know, at the point of getting angry and I say, Lou, breathe, just sort of I slow myself down 
and breathe. I, but I didn't actually associate that with tying to the emotion. I just thought I was giving myself some space. Do you know what right. I mean? It's like, yes. I just thought I was slowing myself down and giving myself some space. But actually, I didn't realize that the breathing affects the emotion yes. and vice versa. Right, right. Gotcha. And it's very closely linked. And actually, that's why I said it's slow, rhythmic breath. Because some people... They're still angry and the breath is still heavy and hard. Like, yeah, yeah. That's not helping you at all. That's not <laughs> helping you. Okay. That's like, you know, when you're blowing at a barbecue, you're trying to start a fire. That's basically you're pumping more anger into your emotions. That, that's, that's not what's helping that's you. So I have seen that. Like, like, I'm breathing. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Or someone says breathe and you just huff. You're like, yeah. <sighs> you know, that's 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 make it worse you're basically fueling that's fueling the the emotion okay. so i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a formula and this is my own experimenting mm -hmm. eight seconds four in four out and very slow like four slow in and four slow out you do that for five minutes it is impossible it, for me i can't speak for humankind i'll tell you mm -hmm. It is impossible for me to maintain or even get angry at an eight second breath. It is impossible. So do you do that? Like when something is upsetting you, you immediately mm -hmm. go there. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Okay. okay. That's, so as soon as the trigger, as now I'm getting to a point where I can actually tell the triggers. I'm like, oh, this is affecting me. And so instead of, like you said, you have to tell yourself, Lou, what are you doing? Yeah. That actually is your ego and identity talking to your ego and identity. Mm -hmm. So you're not actually getting to breath. Mm -hmm. So I don't even, I stop thinking. I just start breathing and I focus only on the eight seconds. What happens as a result is you will automatically emote differently. Just breathing and focusing exclusively on the breathing takes your emotions completely to calm. Got it. And the moment your emotions are calm, your ego and identity subside. So I'm going to go back to your example of when you were on stage and you were speaking. So did mm -hmm. you, before you went on stage, do that or while you were on stage or as people were starting to ask you questions, you were doing that or when exactly do you become conscious? The whole, of the whole time. So okay. before you even go on stage, before you go into a meeting, and this is the practical application, and this is what I All meant right. by developing events, and mm -hmm. sudden events, right? Right. I know I'm going to speak like our chat today. So an hour before, I will start getting my breathing under control. Ah, okay, okay. And I'll be very keenly aware of what activities I'm engaging in that may or may not help me maintain my breathing. So think about people now on a daily basis. They wake up in the morning and they know they have a busy, crazy day ahead there's already stress. Mm. They open their email, they're more stressed. Mm. They're already not in control of their breath. Their emotions are already starting to get affected. They then get in the car, they drive to work. During that drive to work, people cut them off. That's adding to their breath control is out, right? Now their emotions are also affected. They got momentary anger, impulse control, trying to cut others off, get to the office, and they're hurrying for this meeting that's very intense, high stress, right? Mm -hmm. You've been there, I've been there, right? When we have to get mm -hmm. in there. Let's say they're not driving, they're taking the train. 
in New York. And now you try jumping on a train in morning rush hour and see how that manages for your control of your emotions and your breath, right? Then people are fighting around you on the train. They're arguing for seats or space or whatever. Driving uh, in a commute, driving is the same thing. People are negotiating space and you're letting it affect you. So now your emotions are at, your breath is out and your ego is impacted. Now you get to the office and you go into this meeting. And in this meeting, there are people in the room who you don't like. And they have an opposing view to your point of view. Right. How long do you think it will be before you fully snap and lose it during that day? Exactly. Right. This is where this philosophy comes in. If you never allow yourself to lose sight of your breath, you're controlling your emotions and your ego is at check. And so you're allowing yourself to just take the events without feeling the need to respond, react and have them control you. Can I ask you a particular application of this, uh, which is, I think, a lot of us in midlife experience or are having to experience, and I know you had this experience and I mm-hmm. have had this experience, but we have to talk to our parents mm-hmm. about their plans or some their health, or we have to talk to the parents, right? Yes. And parents, as they get older, it can become more and more difficult. <laughs> And, you know, and they're afraid about what's happening to them. And, but we have to talk to them and we have to, you know, you've been there. I know you've been there. We talked about this before. I was talking to a friend one time because she was telling me how she prepared for this conversation with her Mm -hmm. parents because she knew that dad was going to be difficult. Uh, and she, cause she was going to tell him, dad, you cannot drive anymore. And she knew it was going to be a difficult conversation. So she prepared for it. And yet when it happened, it still went crazy because she was, she became still very emotional and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so when you were saying, so this goes into the, you know, an event is going to yes. happen and you prepare for it, but it didn't seem to help that she was preparing for it that she thought about the things that she was going to say. She thought about the arguments and how she was going to address them, but it didn't help. Yes. So uh, I'll, so let's dive into that some more, right? What you just described, you're aware. So awareness is a huge part of this entire thing. Awareness of your breath, awareness of your emotions, awareness of what triggers you, awareness of your ego and identity. But There's a piece here that we haven't talked about. So let's touch on it. There are two elements of awareness. This is all like based on my learnings and and my insights of trying this. The first one is awareness of what you can control 100%. There's only four things. And you've heard me. I've talked to you about this before. The four things that you actually control 100%, your own thoughts, your own emotions, your own energy, and your own action, right? Mm -hmm. So that's easy to understand. Now we're talking about an identity. You're a child to a parent. There's emotion of love, and you want the best for them, okay? But you can't control them 100%. You can't control their actions 100%. You can't control their thoughts 100%, even though you think your logic is 100% correct. So there's another set of awareness that plays into this. And this has been my most recent, actually my 2024 personal goals are tied to this new set of awareness. So this is what dawned on me last year. Um, It's the awareness of your insecurities. Hmm. Okay. And as I've 
taken a deeper dive. I actually have the article right here. I've been researching this, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there are, there are insecurities that affect you in your professional life, in your relationships, in your uh, dealing with situations. And some are very common. For example, being perceived as dumb. Mm, yeah. Huge insecurity for most people. And so they will inflate, right? And you, you always hear this, which is fake it till you make it. They'll make up answers. They'll lie so they don't have to feel dumb. The second one, being judged on appearance. Oh, God, yeah. Right? The, the third insecurity, feeling unneeded or feeling unheard. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth one is loss of control. So right. even though you're aware of the situation, I'm going to be speaking with my parents. I'm aware this is going to be a difficult conversation. I am aware that I can only control what I say and what I think. I can't control them. Your insecurities will get the better of you if you're not aware of them. And so the reason it went off the rails, I would bet money with your friend, is they let their insecurities allow their ego to get triggered. Mm-hmm. The moment the ego is triggered, emotions are gone. The moment emotions are gone, breath is gone, and you've lost the entire plot. So, so I will give you a practical application here now, and I will read directly for my 2024 goals because before you do that because i remember the last time we chatted or i I don't remember if this was part of the recorded uh episode which i'm gonna link to in the show notes but you were telling me about a visit that you have with your parents two three years back and you had some pretty sensitive conversations but you were calm yeah, hundred percent. And I and 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 because I was playing this in my head the whole time, I was breathing. My breath never left eight seconds, at all. And I was able to check my insecurities as the conversation was going. So as soon as something was said and I felt it trigger me, you and you can feel that it pings you. It's like a yes, little yeah. trick. I would go, oh, I felt that. Okay. Instead of reacting. It became an inward mirror type thing. Which insecurity did they just trigger? Not feeling loved? Did they not hear what I had to say? Yeah. Do they think I'm stupid because my recommendation clearly is not what they're listening to? Right? Yeah. And then I would say, okay, let's say that was the insecurity. Let it pass. Next. And so I just kept going and I listened to the whole conversation. And then the conversation was over and I sat up and I processed it. And I went through, okay, so what are my thoughts on this? And are Mm -hmm. my thoughts being driven by my insecurities or are my thoughts based on what they expressed, independent of my identity? Am I remembering correctly, like it was only the day after, like you spent a whole night processing, the whole evening. I sat up all night. You don't have to respond to the upsetting thing or the thing that's happening right away. Correct. And, and, and at the end of the day, what the whole point of the conversation was, is they were expressing their point of view. Right. Right. I was reacting in, and 10 years ago, that would have not gone that way. I would have reacted and rebutted and argued right. to make a point, but, but that was to prove you're wrong or they're wrong and that your, your idea is better. Correct. That's which right. Is which goes all, to the ego. Which is all ego and identity. Right. How dare you say I'm stupid? This is logical. You're not being logical. Right. All those thoughts, 
that's all ego and identity being triggered by an insecurity. And the moment you allow that to happen, you lose control of the only four things you control. And that's because you've given control to somebody else. That's right. But isn't it hard to stop at the moment though? 100%. So, So this has been a few years of practice and it started with events that, and this is why I said, you know, I I noticed that there were developing events where I saw them building and I could plan Mm -hmm. for them. And then there was surprise events, right? Right. Which had an impulsive reaction, almost like I couldn't even control. Words came out of my mouth, emotion, anger, automatic burst, right? When I started paying attention to this, I realized that there were a lot of impulse events that triggered me a lot. (laughs) I'm like, what the hell? Something is wrong here. Like, there can't be that many, but in fact, there are. And I slowly started dissecting them. What about this event? What about this event? Why is this event? And started to practice. Now I'm down to like three things that trigger me into impulsive outbursts. Almost everything else I can take in stride with my yogi philosophy. Hey guys, I'm just interrupting quickly to invite you to subscribe to We're All Getting Older, or Wego for short. Wego is a weekly publication about and for midlifers who are into getting better as we get older. Every Sunday, I send out one idea to explore and inspire action towards being the people we've always wanted to be. And I would love so much for you to join the community so you can check it out at allgettingbetter.com. That's allgettingbetter, one word, dot com. Okie dokie, let's get back to Vivek. That has taken three years to do, but that's three years of daily, everyday awareness, focus, going through, understanding, am I losing sight of my breath? Which part is getting triggered? Why? Mm. And so, you know me, and you've known me for 20 years now. I I used to cuss like a sailor. It was every second <laughs> right. word, there'd be an F-bomb or something dropped yes, in. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> Last year in January, I made a resolution that I would stop cussing. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the kids... Kathy, everybody started laughing. Actually, I shared it with the company too. When our company meeting in Jan, I said, guys, this year, I'm not going to cuss. I can count on two hands that how many times I cussed in 2023. Oh my God, that's a big deal because I know you. <laughs> huge, huge. And and what I realized was cussing almost became part of the trigger. Ah, okay. And by being more aware of when I'm dropping cuss words, I could become more aware to what those trigger points were. And because I was forcing myself not to cuss, I was able to break, right? Now, I'm so aware of it that it seems absurd how often people cuss on a daily basis. I told Kathy, I'm like, if you just sit in any public place, the amount of cussing that is taking place and you're going, oh my God, yeah. I was one of those, right? Yeah. It's, it's strange. You start becoming aware. So I, so I'm, I'm in control of that. Now, 2024, the goal is very specifically to eliminate impulsive outbursts for traffic, sporting events. Yes. Right. Those are the two. That's, that's my focus in 2024 to be able to get through traffic and to be able to watch my favorite teams playing without Mm -hmm. having an impulsive outburst. 
And and so by picking these sort of, how can I put it, harmless goals, right? Because if I lose it in the car and it's just me driving, as long as I'm not like flicking someone off or, or doing something dangerous, right. most of the time it's just me yelling at someone in my car, like getting upset. But if, if I can control that, I now can also practice impulse control. It's like you, you start with a smaller, the smaller yes. events rather than the big event. Right, right. Gotcha. Yeah, because right. like, like I was, when you gave the example of somebody cutting you off in line, it's happened to me a couple of times. I was surprised by the speed with which I got so, you know, because I, I mm-hmm. normally I don't react that way anymore, but somebody cut me off and all of a sudden like, dude, we're in line, wait your turn. You know what I mean? Yes. It's like, it's the fairness of it all. It's the disrespecting sort of stuff. And yes, like no thought whatsoever. It was just like automatic. It came out. It just, my, yeah. my mouth just started opening and started saying things. And, and, and now <laughs> let me, let me, so, you know, you mentioned before you said, well, if someone does something wrong or says something wrong, yeah. should we just be quiet? Shouldn't we say something about it? Yeah. And I'm not advocating passive behavior. I'm not saying, yep, just roll over and let them, you know, walk all over you or something mm-hmm. like that. No, you still control your actions, right? But right. you control your actions. What you're referring to that most people do, and I was also the same, is you're reacting to their behavior. Mm-hmm. That's not a thoughtful reaction. That's an impulsive reaction. And what you're actually doing, even though it's counter to what you think you're doing, is you're punishing yourself. Mm-hmm. Your emotions are going haywire. Your blood pressure is going up. Your mm-hmm. breath is out of control. You're the one who's lost it, but they're the one who did something wrong. Right. That's true. Right. And now yeah. let's say they cut you off and they went on with their life. They're happily going on. Who's sitting there stewing? It's Me. not them. It's you. 30 minutes later, I'm still 30 minutes, 30 later. minutes later, I'm still fuming that this yes. guy coming off. <laughs> exactly. Correct. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> so what is justice? What justice did you do? Right? <laughs> so this, this is a way of looking at it like, okay, this is passing. This is past. What actually has it done to me? Right? Got it. Someone saying something, words based on their thoughts triggered me. Why? people don't stop and ask that question. Okay, so are you saying, for example, if it happened to you, you're in line, you've been in line for 10 minutes and then this guy cuts you off. Mm -hmm. Are you not going to say anything? No. Really? Yeah, I would have once upon a time. (laughs) Right. But in the whole scheme of things, in the whole entirety of your life, is that moment worth losing your stuff over? Yeah, right, right, exactly. What does that matter at the end of the day? But think about how people fixate on these events and the get fairness of it them. all, right? <laughs> Whether it's fairness, they might be doing the unfair thing or whatever. But the idea is, are, are you aware of what's what's happening, right? And and actually, one of my favorite authors and and yogis who I follow very closely is Michael Singer, who wrote mm-hmm. The Untethered yes. Soul. Can I just say, I love that book. But I. It, in in all fairness, though, the first time I picked that book, I threw it. I literally threw it at the wall because, like, it's impossible. Like, like he's yeah. saying things that is impossible for me to do. But then years later, I picked it up again, 
I guess because I was doing other self work on myself. So the second time I've picked it up a few years later, I was able to read it and hear what he's saying and mm-hmm. accept it. But the yeah. first time was, diff- I literally, I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> it's impossible what he's saying. And, and because what he's saying goes at the heart of ego and identity. And he's basically mm-hmm. saying, that's not you. Let it go. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, again, like we, you started this conversation with, that's easy to say. Say, right. But if you let go of all the identities and the ego you have attached to those identities, what are you left with? Right. And, pe- and this, is the f- this is the primal insecurity of most people, which is what triggers the whole thing in the first place. There is something else that uh, he was saying about we hold on to the hurts. Right. Yeah. And he was saying you basically let it go because the more Correct. you hold on to this thing, you're always going to suffer. And I'm like, but mm-hmm. how could you let go of this thing that was done to you? But it wasn't done to you. What do you mean? It wasn't done to me. It was it done was- to you. Let's assume there were 100 people in line. Okay. You were number 70 and someone right. cut into in front of number 60. Did they do that specifically to you? See to me, right, right, right. They're just an inconsiderate person. Mm-hmm. They didn't care about fairness, so they did what they did. Now your reaction is you punishing yourself and right. stewing about it is basically what Michael Singer is talking about. You're holding yes. on to this baggage, right? That's what people end up doing, and and that's where grudges start, right? And the moment you have a point of view that is. I am right. That means someone else has to be wrong if they don't have the same exact thought, right? So so now you've set yourself up to get triggered. The moment you polarize yourself around an identity, and there's a lot we can go into identity and ego. There's, there's so much in the Vedanta literature about mm-hmm. ego and identity and how they're connected. The moment you polarize, you build this brilliant castle around an identity, your ego will defend that to death. And that's what you're seeing people get conflicted about. They can't even have a conversation now if they're from two rival teams. They, yeah. you, you see someone on a Monday morning and they are fans of two rival teams and they get into a fight over what the referee did in a game that neither of them played in. You, I mean, it's, it's insanity. If you sit back and watch two people do this completely objective, you'll go, y'all are crazy. Yeah. Y'all are absolutely nuts. Right. 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 And nothing to do with you. (laughs) You didn't even play in the game. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) You weren't the ref, nor were you either of the players. But yet your entire Sunday got ruined by it. And now you're willing to fight with anybody who (laughs) argues with why your Sunday got ruined. So now how much are you punishing yourself over... Something you didn't even have anything to do about. That's right. Oh, my goodness. So so in India, cricket is a huge thing. And when India loses the World Cup or some sort of important cricket match, people actually commit suicide. Do you oh know that? God, Imagine yeah. how crazy you have to be where a game that you didn't even play caused you to kill yourself. Why? Because you identified with India so like strongly it. that you That's could not it. take it. It's our identification with a particular ideology or team or... The national flag. Right. Right. Sadhguru talks about it all the time. He talks about 
how you know people cry when their national anthem plays. That's how powerful identity is, right? That's how powerful. Like, think about politics in the U.S. right yeah. now. That's exactly what's playing. That's exactly people what it is. Cannot even take away their identity or their emotions and breathe and just talk. Right. You're, you know, you're an independent being with a mind and a logic who has thoughts. I'm an independent being with a mind and logic who has thoughts. Right. The only way I can share my thoughts with you are words, and the only right. way you can share your thoughts with me are words. Now, right. if I prevent you from sharing that because those aren't the words I want to hear, we're not communicating anymore. So, in the in the context of the parents scenario, you gave your friends' parents. That's what was happening. So, if you were, if so, if 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 that was your friend, say, and she came to you and she said, "Vic, I'm going to have to speak to my dad this weekend because I'm going to have to talk to him about this difficult conversation. He cannot drive anymore." And and she knows that it's going to be a difficult conversation because his dad's going to fight it. Mm-hmm. What might you have? Said to her, like how to prepare for it or what to, how to prepare her mind even to approaching this conversation. One, I would talk about like the things that we said. You know, make sure before you go into the conversation, something very practical: your breath. Be aware of your breath throughout that conversation. Don't lose sight of it at any point. Right before you go into the conversation, do your own analysis of what your triggers are going to be in that conversation. Ah, I cannot. I cannot believe that she didn't know what her father's point of view was going to be. Right. Right. Like so, going into it, you know what they're going to tell you. You know that they're going to say, "I don't care. I've been driving my whole life, and I'm going to continue to drive. Mm-hmm. And if I die, so be it. At least we'll be on my terms." Mm-hmm. Let's assume that that's what the dad was going to say. You know that that is what they're going to say. So if you already know. What they're going to say when they say it? Haven't you premeditated? So how would you react impulsively? You should smile and say, "I knew you would say that." Right? Yeah, because it so it shouldn't it shouldn't trigger you to an emotion anymore because you expected that that's yeah. exactly the position he was going Correct. to take. That's Correct. Right. And and so now your emotion is actually one of humor because you're you that would it's it's like. A comedy show, like have you ever watched this cartoon, Mr. Magoo? Yeah, yeah. The blind guy who <laughs> yes, bumps yes. into everything and he doesn't yeah, know. Right, right. Yeah. So the way I would prepare her is: imagine you're going to have a conversation with Mr. Magoo, not mm-hmm. your dad, Mr. Magoo, and mm-hmm. Mr. Magoo is telling you exactly what they're going to do, and it's actually pretty funny. Okay, Mr. Magoo, you're going to back your car out into somebody else's car. You're going to ding into the wall in front of you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's play this out. Take the identity out of it. You're no longer the kid. They're no longer your parent. They're someone you met who is describing their point of view, and you're approaching it objectively. So they're driving on the highway and they lose control and they get in an accident. And not only do they hurt themselves, they kill someone else.、Mm-hmm. Is that okay for them? It's not your identity. It's not your action. It's not you that has to be controlled. You're just asking them to make a choice, and they're going to make the choice whether you like it or not. So your insecurity is loss of control, and your insecurity is loss of someone you don't want to lose. 
But in the at the end of the day, they have to take responsibility for their action. You cannot stop what is going to happen to them from happening. Mm-hmm. And if you try to do that, you've now taken control of them. They are no longer an independent being and you no longer respect their individuality. Mm-hmm. Right? So now think about how that's going to play out. And so my advice to your friend would be think all this through before you go into that conversation because your reaction might have in unintended consequences. And this is what I meant when I started with when you're a parent or you're a child or you're in a relationship, your actions and decisions have high impact. There's going to be a long shell life and there's very little margin for error. So how do you go to your parent and say, you know what? You're no longer able to take care of yourself. So I am going to tell you how to live your life. You mm. think that's going to go over well? If someone said that to you, you think you'd be like, yes, you're right. Here you go. Here are the keys. Here's the control of my life. No problem. There, I, no. <laughs> Actually, the more they say, the more, the more specific you say or the more adamant you are that you're not going to give up whatever it is that you're doing. Correct. Because, right. Correct. And, and so now another reaction would be, well, you're making, you're taking actions that are going to disrupt my life. So with elderly parents, you, you know, especially coming from Asian cultures, actually more and more in the West too, you end up helping them. You take care of them, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Now there's a respectful way to have that conversation. Like, listen, I love you. And I want the best for you. And I want the best mutual outcome here. If you take certain actions that lead to certain negative consequences, it's completely up to you to do that. However, I want you to know where I draw the line. At some point, you are now in control of your actions. If you say, no matter what they do, I am going to take care of them, then you've given control to them. And now you're going to resent that. I would imagine part of her reaction was she's already convinced that something bad will happen and that it'll become her problem. Yeah, because she's bas- that's basically she's preventing the bad thing from happening. Correct. Yeah. But to her, not to them. <laughs> right. She's trying to prevent the end. bad thing from coming back to her. Right. So that's where I draw the line. And that's where I'm very clear in articulating. This is your choice. These are the consequences. This will be my choice based on that. So if you're going to take certain actions, I want you to understand what my actions will be, right? And almost always, Luke, it comes down to money. Almost always. What do you mean? There. Let's say you have a friend and they're going to take a risk or a family member. And then they find themselves in a pickle, in a tough spot, and they turn around. And they're like, can you help me out? Mm-hmm. Almost always it's, can you give me money to bail me out of this situation? Mm-hmm. And most people will begrudgingly go ahead with it. Mm-hmm. Well, now you've completely conflated your identity, ego, emotions. It's all mixed up. Mm-hmm. Love is equal to money. Money is yeah. equal to emotional support, right? And it's mm-hmm. And that's a very convoluted thing. And then you get triggered. Every time something happens in the future, from that moment on, that baggage is with you forever. So 
I actually have a principle here where I actually have shared with some family members. I said, my love for you is infinite. My resources are not. That's it. No emotion attached to it. I will support you. I will love you. I will give you words of encouragement, but you are free to make your choice and you are free to suffer the consequences of those choices. Mm -hmm. There is no safety net. Should you choose not to take this advice, you already know what you have chosen. Yeah. Right? Because I'm only going to control my thoughts, my emotions, my energy, and my action. I'm not going to control yours. Mm -hmm. I'm going to share with you my thoughts. You're free to use those thoughts. You're free to ignore those thoughts. You're free to do as you please. However, you are also then responsible for the outcomes of your choices. How did it go down with the family? Honestly, it's their ego and identity. It's their emotions and they need to breathe. I hold them to the same standard I'm going to hold myself to. And I think right. that's fair. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And what I think is missing is that people don't hold those boundaries. They want to get in other person's business. They want to tell someone how what to do, how to think, how to act, how to emote. Don't be happy, don't be sad. This is how you should be. You should be angry about this. Well, if you're going to be in their business, they're going to be in your business. Right? And basically and so, you're not asking them something that you're not willing to to do yourself. Correct. Like, right, right. Correct. The boundaries you've set for them is the same boundaries you maintain for yourself. It's, you know, Correct. it's, you're not, yeah, yeah. Correct. So when someone comes to you now and someone gives you unsolicited advice, I guarantee you most people get triggered because the insecurity is, what are you saying? I'm dumb. Don't you think I would have thought of that anyways? Right now. And, and that used to be me. So I'm just saying this from personal experience. Now, when someone comes no matter who it is, even if it's my father, right? And he's like, hey, I want to tell you something. So you made a comment about my long hair. And the other day right. he was like, so you don't look like a CEO because my hair is long. <laughs> <laughs> Ten years ago, that would have got a very sharp reaction. Immediately. Immediately. And it would not have been a nice reaction. Right. <laughs> the new yogi me was like, thank you. Thank you for your advice. And that was it. Nothing, nothing else need to be said. Yeah. No trigger, no emotional, nothing, because he's expressing a thought. And you know something, I, I, as I was researching this, because uh, th this, this was something I found fascinating, there are studies done on thoughts. Did you know that human beings have between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts a day? <laughs> this is like the National Science Foundation, Stanford University professors, there have been Tons of these studies, 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts a day per person, yes. per person. And do you know, 80% of those thoughts are negative. Majority of our thoughts are negative. 80% of those six, 12 to 60,000 thoughts are negative and 95% of them are repetitive. So people only have 5% original thoughts at any given time. It's 95% repetitive and 80% Negative. So Negative. this is not my research. Okay. I'm telling you what I've read as I've studied this about myself. And I'm like, why the hell am I having these thoughts? And what got me triggered was Michael Singer's book where he talks about your, your mind is your crazy roommate in that yeah. chapter. That's exactly what he's talking about. He's like, your roommate, your mind is just yakking 
nonstop. Yes. And the problem is most people think they are their mind. Yeah, that because they thought it, that it's right for them. Which is funny because it's that that fr- phrase, right? Do what's right for you, which mm-hmm. we hear all the time. But then it stems from, well, who's telling? What part of you is telling you that that's right for you? And if it's coming from that eighty percent, that it may not actually be right for you. Correct. Correct. <laughs> so, so all these things are so interrelated. And as I've like, I don't do scientific research. I don't go out and interview people and all. But even on your own. Okay. Even on your own, if you do the math and this is, this is how like acutely aware of this I've gotten. I said normal breath is four seconds, two in mm-hmm. and two out. So mm-hmm. in a minute, you're breathing 15 times normal without getting triggered, which is 900 in an hour. Okay. And if you're awake for 16 hours a day, that's 14,400 breaths. And if you take that to a year, that's 5.2 million. Mm-hmm. And the way I've been able to frame this for myself is I have 5.2 million opportunities each year to make a deliberate choice. Yeah. So if I get triggered, that's one of those choices I failed to make. Mm-hmm. Someone else made that choice for me. That's why I got triggered. Right now, I'm not talking about like if someone's trying to cause you physical harm, you just stand there and do whatever. Right, right, but, right. but that's very rare. Mm-hmm. 95% of the time, you're triggered by someone saying something, someone doing something that had nothing to do with you. They were just doing it and you looked at it and you got irritated by it and you had to say something to them. Somebody, right? Somebody made a comment on social media that yes. they were, they weren't even. Telling you specifically, they were just posting something. (laughs) Correct. And now in the world of AI, you don't even know if that's a real person and you're triggered by freaking AI. That's true. Right? Oh my goodness. Right, right. So so think about now in your day of 16 hours, your 14,400 breaths. How many of those have you given away to someone else? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And and if you go through a year and most of that year was controlled by someone else because you got triggered by insecurities and your ego and identity dictated your emotions, basically you're not living your life. Someone is living your life for you. That's the bottom line. Wow. Do you see how that all ties together? Yeah. And when we say it that way, like how the, the stark truth of it all, like the the bottom line of it. Mm-hmm. You makes you really sort of like pause. Yes. Yes. So think about, so, so put this into reality for people. They spend 12 hours of their day commute and at work, right? And they're triggered throughout that. Then they come home and they're watching sports. Then they're triggered by that. Then you have micro identity events that they watch the news and their identity is triggered by that, whether it's climate or uh, racial something or DEI something or election something or Ukraine war or Israel war. So from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, you have found ways to trigger you. Yeah. How much of that now is truly you making your own choices versus how many of those is you responding to stimulus that you have conditioned yourself to? And all I'm going to say is I've sat there 
and I've actually mapped it out for myself to the point where it's it's no different than doing financial planning. You know, when you do financial planning, the first thing they'll say is print out your one month's worth of spending and look how many times you bought Starbucks. And you look at it and you go, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then your yeah. next plan is, OK, now how do I reduce Starbucks from there? Yeah. All right. If people only did that inventory they would start to apply this yogic practice in their own life. But it starts with awareness. You have to be acutely aware of the choices you're making and why you're making those choices. Vivek, I think that's the perfect place to end this conversation. I love this conversation. This is the kind of stuff I love talking about and geeking about. Um, and it goes very much along my the, the thing that I work for or what I'm working towards right getting better as we get older because all these habits all these thought patterns all these thought habits all these things about get you know just helps us get better as we get older Vivek my friend thank you so much for sharing your insights I really really appreciate that you have come back I will anytime thank you Lou thanks for helping me to express um, and if, if it helps if it helps someone turn their life around, then, um, you know, that'll be a wonderful thing. I want to thank Vivek again for sharing his experience and insights with us. You're going to find all the links on the show notes at secondbreaks.com. Thank you, my dear listener friend, for joining me today. If you like this episode, please do me a solid and share it with a friend or two to help this podcast grow and reach more midlifers. I will be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode, a new conversation that explores how we can best navigate these midlife transitions and grow as we get older. And don't forget to subscribe to We're All Getting Older. Until then, keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans. <laughs>